0: After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal! Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go! We are kicking. Watch the blue! Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, baby! Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Please move in. please move and play oh, the I'm not going to that I made a mistake. I think I'm
1: bang on man and Okay, gentlemen, play ball. Watch it here. Good checking, guys. And good
0: play. Are you still full, Josh? I'm still full. It's, it it's funny how that happens this time of year. You just sort of, well, maybe just one more little scoop of this and one more little scoop of that. And then you find yourself... Unbuttoning your pants and laying down and sticking your belly in the air. It just
1: happens. There's no hockey game to distract you on Thanksgiving. It's it's well, I'll you know what, I can just have another another plateful here. Why not?
0: And we did. And now we are continuing to try to get back into order. It's a strange week with U.S. Thanksgiving, but we're here with another edition of the Scouting the Rest podcast. It's brought to you by Manscaped. There are special savings available for you, of course, with our Manscaped partnership. By using the code REFS, R-E-F-S, you get 20% off your order and free shipping and... For a limited time, there are extra Black Friday discounts available. Go to manscaped.com now. It is the most wonderful time of the year. I I really love the U.S. Thanksgiving holiday, and I specify that it is U.S. Thanksgiving because we have so many Canadian listeners as well. We have worldwide listeners. It's a great time for family and get-together. As we mentioned, there is so much wonderful and delicious food. And then, of course... Our thoughts turn to Christmas that isn't that far away and the rest of the holiday season. And it gives us thoughts of Black Friday, bargains to be had for a limited time, even greater savings at manscaped.com. We've got great gift ideas for everyone on your lists, there are great savings to be had with all kinds of grooming products. There's the Lawn Mower 4.0 with the Skin Safe technology, keep things clean and under control, inviting for all, a great gift for under the tree. Hell, you could even trim the tree with this thing. It works so well and just in time for gift-giving season as well. Mind-blowing products that include all-new ultra-premium body wash, two-in-one shampoo and conditioner, Everyone can think of someone on their list that could use the weed whacker as well to clean up a few messy areas. As we've said before, Josh, with Manscaped products, you get great products of tidyings of comfort and joy for yourself and for all frequent visitors to the area.
1: Frequent visitors, infrequent visitors, anybody who happens to just stop by or even for yourself just to feel, like you said, that, that comfort and joy. It's a very personal thing and, and Manscaped can help you get there.
0: More than 4 million men worldwide can't be wrong. Go to Manscaped.com. Use our code REFS, REFS, for your purchase. Special Black Friday savings, even greater than our regular 20% off and free delivery. Do it now. Please make sure you're following us on our social channels. For Josh, it's at scoutingtherefs on Twitter and Instagram. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on both Twitter and Instagram. Coming up on this week's episode... Actual slew-footing penalties. Injuries have hit the refs. That's the wrong colour tape. There's rules about how to take a face-off. And Ray has a question about good goals. You can email us your questions at heyref at com. Josh, I did want to update a couple of officials that have been injured recently as well. Last week, we had linesman Mark Schuchuk, who was injured after working a couple of periods of the Blues and Sharks game. He didn't return for the third. Is he okay? And do you have an update on Mark?
1: Yeah, no information on why Shuchuk had to leave the game. Uh, A bit mysterious there. Didn't seem to be any collision. uh, Nothing crazy going on. He he did seem a little winded. He was kind of hunched over at the end when he skated off uh, before going to the locker room after the second period. But good news, Todd, he is back in action today. So we will see him back on the ice for Penn's Isles.
0: Excellent. Good to hear. Also, there was an injury in the Dallas St. Louis game with official Andrew Smith. Justin Fogg wound up, cleared the puck, except he hit Andrew Smith with the puck. He was forced to leave the game. Is there an update on his condition?
1: No word yet. His was a little more obvious at just a a tough spot. You drop the puck. The defensive team wins the faceoff. They're shorthanded. They want to fire it down the ice. And Smitty was still in the faceoff dot right right in the line of fire there so looked like it caught him on the inside of the knee and there's not a lot of padding to absorb that one so an unfortunate shot no word on his status right now hoping we'll see him back on the ice soon
0: we have a couple of fines that were doled out just before the quick holiday break for u.s thanksgiving Winnipeg Jets defenseman Josh Morrissey fined $5,000 for slashing Columbus Blue Jackets forward Alexander Texier during a game on November 24th. This one's pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? You slash, you pay the price.
1: It is, and it was. A, it was a two-handed whack right across the shins on an empty-net goal. This one, I, I, I get it. This is an absolute fine. I'm, I'm going one more. I'm, I'm going. One game suspension on this, I would have simply because the puck is in the net. There's no hockey play. There's no justification for how this has any bearing on the proper part of the game on the ice. This is, to me, intent to injure, intent to take out your frustrations on an opposing player. And for me, Todd, any of those situations, minimum one game. And and for me, I, I would have liked to have seen him get a game just because of what he was trying to do on this play, which was to hurt the Columbus Blue Jackets player.
0: Fair enough. I can get on board with that. Ottawa Senator defenseman Nikita Zaitsev also paid five grand for cross-checking San Jose Sharks forward Timo Meyer on Wednesday. Again, cross-checking five thousand dollars is the price.
1: Yep, and this one, uh, you know, to the face. So uh, here we go again with the I, I get it. It was a fine. This is no penalty on the play, and I know player safety does not react to the call or non-call, and, and certainly this deserved a penalty. But again, a cross-check to the face. Are are we looking at any? play on the puck here the puck was not in the neighborhood when that happened so this is again an opportunity missed by player safety to address a situation that was not a play on the puck that was not a hockey play where you're going after a guy you're cross-checking him in the face that's not a battle for position or anything like that so again i i wouldn't be against stricter punishment for these types of circumstances
0: There was one other fine issued just before the Thanksgiving break, and that was to Max Domi of the Columbus Blue Jackets, who got fined $5,000 for unsportsmanlike conduct during the game. There was an incident at 220 of the third period. Domi got a double minor for roughing, and apparently, I would suggest he expressed his displeasure <laughs> with that call.
1: Yeah, he was uh, he was a bit displeased. He was not happy with it, and uh, I, it, you know some rough stuff going on. And certainly, when you have some of the chippy battles and the the post whistle scrums and things like that, uh, tempers are high and and players are frustrated. So a good fine. You know, this sends a message. I, I don't think this was deserving of a suspension. So I I, I totally get the fine in this case. And I, you don't know if it really teaches Domi anything more, but uh, hopefully just, you know, having that strike against his name, especially as it comes to future incidents, uh, will go in the books for him as a fine.
0: Okay, so in that regard, I'm watching the Florida Panthers and the Philadelphia Flyers as well, and it seems as though Florida was getting kind of grumpy that they weren't getting what they felt were similar calls to the Philadelphia Flyers. So, finally, after some chirping that was clearly visible and taking place, Frank Vetrano said something that must have gone just a little too far to TJ Luxmore, who rang him up with two minutes for unsportsmanlike conduct. Now, I'm not questioning the penalty at all. I think, generally speaking, officials really tolerate far more of this sort of nonsense from players than they should. I'm just wondering... What constitutes the difference between a referee or an linesman, I guess, in this matter, for calling a two minutes for unsportsmanlike versus giving them a 10-minute misconduct?
1: The, the biggest difference to me is, is that you have to look at that two-minute often as a team penalty, right? Because it does affect the team on the ice. And if you've given the team warnings, if, if they've had multiple players protesting a call or arguing with the officials and you say – to the bench and to the players on the ice, you know, one more of these, I'm sending a guy to the box. You're looking at two minutes for unsportsman. Like the, the criteria to me is, you know, is this a team issue or are you just being an idiot? And, In some cases, when the player himself is an isolated idiot, you can look at the 10-minute misconduct and, and send him off the ice for you know some, some behaviors that was uh, unacceptable, but maybe a situation where the team isn't necessarily getting punished, uh,
0: just the player for half a period. I, I think you may have just come up with a title for this episode. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> This is the Scouting the Refs podcast. It's brought to you by Manscaped, and there are special savings for you with our partnership with Manscaped. Use our special code REFS and get special discounts of 20% off your order plus free shipping, plus for a limited time, extra Black Friday savings are taking place right now. Go to manscaped.com to take advantage of them. Okay, we have talked about this, I I think since before the start of the season. The slew foot. Once again, Pops up in this season's NHL. Ryan Hartman got the attention of the Tampa Bay Lightning forward Ross Colton during a game this past week. Hartman gave Colton the old, how do you do, down you go with the full on slew foot. He was given a two minute penalty for tripping. He also got the attention of player safety. He was fined $4,250. That, of course, is the maximum allowed under the CBA. He also had to deal with Zach Bogosian in a fight right after exiting the penalty box. And I think that was was more punishment in this case. So again, this was a slew foot. It was a fine. We didn't get a suspension in this particular case, but we did get one against Kevin LeBanc of the San Jose Sharks because he had a takedown of Tyler Bozak. The two were... Pursuing the puck, LeBanc stuck his foot out. He took both feet out from underneath Bozak and they both crashed hard into the boards. And I guess that's what apparently raised it to the level of suspendability. Is that a word? Suspendability? It is now. Yes. Sure.
1: I, I I think it is. And I think it's it's clear what that means. But that's what the league's looking at. And that's what player safety is seeing is, is the proximity to the boards, how dangerous of a play it was, what was the risk for injury? And and Bozak was fortunate to have avoided an injury on that one. You know, you've got both feet coming out and both skates colliding with the boards. A, a bit unpredictable on which way your knees are going to go once that impact happens. So, he was very fortunate there, but it's certainly a dangerous play. A, dare I call it a dangerous trip? But,
0: but yeah. Oh in, no, don't don't confuse us <laughs> any further. Come on.
1: In in both <laughs> cases though, it is a clear slew foot and it does follow the the league's guidance on that lower body being taken out or, or having the skates kicked out one or both. And then that backwards motion on the upper body. So that is what the league has stood by as the criteria. And that's how they differentiate between slew footing and dangerous tripping. So I, I think they got the right call here. I think uh, the fact that Bozak didn't get injured as fortunate as it was, I'm, I'm glad to see that they still went with the one game suspension just because the act itself is what we need to look at penalizing or suspending for. And in both cases, it was dangerous, but certainly hitting the boards for Bozak a lot scarier uh, than in the Hartman
0: slew foot. I agree with you that Bozak and LeBanc both crashing into the boards was a little scarier to witness, but you used the phrase of it's the act that's illegal and dangerous and should be punished. And this is another one of those instances where I can see it's a slew foot you have all of the elements of the offense, you're going to sit for at least one game.
1: Absolutely. And with the fact that we've seen the league use dangerous trip for those circumstances where it's not quite a slew foot, you would think that they would take a harder stance on it, especially since the NHL rulebook has such specific criteria for the slew foot and for penalties. When you've got a slew foot in the game, you're not looking at a minor or a double minor or even a major penalty. It is a match penalty if you're guilty of slew footing. So the rule book jumps far ahead to that level of boom, slew foot equals match penalty. It surprises me that player safety doesn't equate that with boom, slew foot equals at least one game just for doing the act. And then after that, if you think it was dangerous, if there was an injury, if there's history, add on to it. But I, I'm surprised when a match penalty is the required penalty, you're effectively having the officials give them a game for slew footing, but player safety does not.
0: Well, and this is what's causing me to wonder a little bit now that the slew foot rule is not a new one. It has been a part of the NHL rulebook for many, many years, although video review in the Department of Player Safety has not been. Maybe there is a, it's a time that we look at an immediate penalty on the ice for the officials who don't always get to see the best angle because they are at the same level as the players on the ice versus player safety that gets to look at multiple angles, regular time, slow motion, ultra slow motion, and can better view whether or not it should be punished with a so-called match penalty via suspension.
1: Absolutely. I I think that's a fair way to address it. We see what they've done when it comes to some of the diving or embellishment plays, when they get to take a second look at it. And I know that's just a fine, but just looking at those types of situations where the intricacies and everything that goes into it might not be something that we can expect the officials to catch at all times. You know, Maybe this is a tripping penalty. Maybe it's a slew footing penalty. But let's leverage the ability of player safety to take that second look and and hit them with an appropriate penalty. If the ref has to give a match, then shouldn't player safety give a match as well?
0: So here we go again. The headline's going to be these guys are calling for more video review. I'm telling you, just wait for it.
1: I'm calling for more review. I'm calling for more suspensions. I feel like I've really got it out for everybody today. Meanwhile, the NHL is just trying to find guys so they can afford all their Black Friday shopping. <laughs>
0: Exactly right. Okay. Let's let's switch to something that's a little bit different now. And we, we hear a lot about face-offs and, and centers and players and, and how they approach the face-off play, which occurs so frequently. Everybody t- tries to get a little advantage, dare I say cheat, but we, we haven't really defined too closely what's allowed, what isn't allowed as part of the podcast. So let's look at that. We see guys that as they try to take the face-off, will turn their bodies a little more than they're supposed to. Players creep into the circle sometimes over the line between them where they're they're not supposed to cross. So if you commit a face-off violation, the center gets tossed. If a second one happens, then it's a bench minor penalty. And this is supposed to cut down on a ton of the nonsense. And it does. The face-offs used to be even worse. Last week, it burned the Philadelphia Flyers in a game, though. Flyers were about to start a power play. Derek Broussard lined up improperly. That was clearly visible. He gets thrown out. Claude Giroux comes in next. And when he faced off with Patrice Bergeron, he got dinged for a face-off violation. Now, Josh, can you kind of explain what happens on the play here when there is a second face-off violation, how this one occurred and why it resulted in a penalty for the Flyers.
1: Sure. So when you go in, you need to think of it almost like a tennis serve, right? You you fault on your first serve and, and you've got your second shot at it and you don't want to give up the point. So you, maybe you're going to play it safe to just make sure you're following the rules, you're staying in bounds. And the same thing applies when you've got this face-off here. You you want to line up properly. You, you don't want to jump the gun here because you've, you've already used your free pass. So A lot was made of Bergeron knocking the puck out of the official's hand. And if you look closely, we had the Flyers player jump the gun as well. He moves first. He also does make contact. It was linesman Dan Kelly who was dropping the puck. He didn't knock the puck out of Kelly's hand, but he did make contact with Kelly's hand as he was moving his stick. The reason he was moving his stick in the first place is because Bergeron faked him out. It was a smart move. Bergeron has to put his stick down first in the defensive zone. He went to do it and pulled up. It's a legal strategy on the faceoff. He didn't put his stick down. He he faked him out. But when he did that, Giroux went for the timing play, tried to come down right on top of him, hit the puck. It didn't leave Kelly's hand, but then as Bergeron was bringing his stick back up, that's what knocked the puck loose. So we did see Giroux jump before he should have, before Bergeron's stick was down, and make contact with the linesman. So, It was unfortunate here. I understand they were frustrated. The optics of it for the Flyers and for Flyers fans was seeing that Bergeron knocked the puck loose. But the infraction or the second infraction on this draw had already been committed by the time that happened. So that's why this ended up being a penalty for the Flyers. And it's just terrible timing. And I know it's frustrating. I know fans hate seeing the linesman not just, hey, drop the puck already. And they're trying to get the guys lined up the players are cheating. They're trying to get every advantage mm-hmm. they can. Faceoffs are so important. You're jockeying for position. You're playing uh, the timing game. You're trying to get it all just right. And face-offs used to be a whole lot more out of control. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, it, sometimes we had linesmen throw the puck down and get the hell out of there. <laughs> it, it, it does seem like it's crazy. If, why are guys getting tossed and what's going on here? They're trying to get a fair draw. And, and that's the whole point. And in this case, we had a Flyers player who jumped the gun, and unfortunately for Giroux, that cost his team a minor penalty.
0: It was really a savvy move by Patrice Bergeron, who faked out Claude Giroux. That caused this whole thing, wasn't it?
1: I mean, he's one of the best face-off guys in the league yeah. for a reason, and and that includes yeah. baiting guys into taking penalties. I mean, think of uh, think of football games when you've got guys baiting the opposing players to jump offside, and it, it's that kind of move that Bergeron is smart enough to do, either to draw that infraction and, and obviously he knew that they already had that warning so the next foul was going to give them a violation penalty or he's trying to mess up Drew's timing to catch him off guard and, and actually be in the right place so a brilliant move by Bergeron to try to win the puck in, in getting the face off win he actually drew a penalty as well so a smart move on his part.
0: You had an interesting piece up on the ScoutingTheRest.com website that involved Frederick Anderson of the Carolina Hurricanes in a game versus Anaheim. You noticed that Anderson had red tape at the top of his stick across the knob. That is a no-no. It seems like this is a bit of a, a fashion rule to me. I, w- I was watching the uh, the Panthers and Sergey Bobrovsky has red tape up near the top of the handle of his stick But at the very last strip around the knob, there is white tape. Now, players make the knob in all sorts of shapes and sizes and stuff. But at the top, it's white. However, Frederick Anderson, it was red up at the top. And that drew the attention of the Anaheim Ducks, who said, hey, you can't do that. And then they had to change it. But it's not really a penalty, is it?
1: It's it's not a penalty. And it's crazy in that if you are found to be in violation, the referee will actually help fix it for you. So it's, <laughs> a, it's always an interesting moment when you see the refs wrapping white tape around the goaltender stick. But yeah, there's no penalty. So worst thing that happens is you get some mind games here between the opposing coach and maybe they try to time it before a power play or before a shootout or something like that to just try to get in the goalie's head. But uh, as a goalie... If you've got color tape, you know you may get called out on it at some point. But there, there's no teeth in this rule. There's really nothing that comes out of it. And it's a it's a rule that dates back to the days when we had a goal judge behind each net that would physically watch for the puck to cross the line. And there was concern that the tape, which then was either black or white, they didn't have all the colors that we have now, Concern that anything other than white tape might appear to be the puck and the goal judge may put the light on. So that's where this rule is from. It hasn't changed over the years. Now we have multicolored tape that certainly is much less likely to be confused for a puck, but it's still on the books and bizarrely only the end of it. So that, that combination of having red tape and then a white knob is somehow okay. Uh, to me, Todd, I, I think you either go all white tape to avoid any confusion yeah. or you just let them do what they want. <laughs>
0: This again, I I think this is a fashion rule and (laughs) I, I really I don't know what the big deal is. If it's if it's red or green or blue or yellow. I don't I don't care. It black, okay, I understand that's confusing. But let any other color go. Let let the players express themselves. What do you think?
1: I, I think they should. I think it's a great way to do it. Stick tape is fine. And uh, I, I think it's funny that the stick knob can't be black. We've had goalie equipment, other parts of the gear that can be black. We've had confusing situations where the webbing of a goalie's glove is black mm-hmm. stitching. So all those other incidents, they've allowed black gear, but uh, but not the stick knob. And, and now no color at all. So an interesting play, one that's really not... Uh, not critical and not impactful, but always a fun moment to watch.
0: Okay, one more quick one to, to wrap things up. We've talked a bunch about penalties and the officials' announcements. Some are better than others. They did get some instruction during training camp this year, which I think has helped. I think the, the better microphones are helping too. But we got an interesting email. You can send us your email questions. Hey, ref, at guttingtherefs.com. It pointed out something that was really interesting and actually makes a lot of sense. When the referees make an announcement after a challenge and the goal is allowed to stand, they always say, we have a good goal. And Ray correctly asks, why is it a good goal? Shouldn't it be it's a goal? There aren't, there aren't bad goals that are allowed. It's, it's just a goal.
1: <laughs> that is a great question, Ray, and you're, <laughs> you're spot on. You're right there. I mean, I guess you can, you can score bad goals that still count. But yeah, a good goal or a good hockey goal is really redundant. I I think it's a valid question. I I think it's one that maybe uh, we just have fallen into that trap of good goals, bad goals. and, And a good goal doesn't have to be a good goal to be a legal goal, which maybe is the terminology they should be looking for there.
0: I think that you've struck something there. It's a a, we have a legal goal, but I think that that has connotations of lawyers. And that's the last thing we need more involvement of. Wouldn't you agree? (laughs)
1: You you don't want more lawyers in the NHL? Come on. I don't want
0: more lawyers anywhere.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, we'll just we'll stick with good goal or goal. It's a goal. It's a goal. The Scouting the Rest podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with code REFS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code REFS. That's R-E-F-S. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped.